Um, I'm going to ask you to do something with me just before I get started in uh, our message today. I really do need um, you to pray for me today to get through this. And I'm always aware how much I need God. But when I am weak like this and feeling the way I do, I'm very aware. So let's just stop and pray for a moment, if you would. Father, I thank you that your grace is sufficient and that you meet us in our weakness and that you come and you work uh, through us as weak vessels. And Lord, I, I know that you want to speak to our hearts and encourage people today. You want to encourage families, encourage uh, moms and dads and kids, Lord. And I just pray that you would speak uh, through me, through your word, and that you would have your way in this, in this place today. And so we, we give you this time, Lord. We surrender to you as we uh, admit we need you, God, and I need you. Just pray that you'd come and fill this place with your presence. And pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're uh, continuing our series called Some Assembly Required. We've been in it for a while. It's a relationship series. We'll be in it right up through Easter. And uh, relationships are critical. And here's one of the reasons why. Because you're all in one. Everybody's got a relationship with somebody. And uh, we all live in a world filled with people, filled with uh, the big R, with relationships. And learning how to function well and health and holiness the way God meant for us to is, is important. Because when we do, it's like the gears behind me. When things mesh, when they work the way they're designed to work, it's awesome. It's great. But when things are messed up and aren't going the way they're supposed to go, it's like somebody throws a wrench in the, in the gears, it gets pretty ugly and pretty harsh. And so we've taken some time to look at different aspects of relationships. Today, I'm going to focus on kids and raising kids. Uh, the message is entitled, Four Mistakes Parents Make with Teenagers and How to Avoid Them. When I started uh, this message, I really was going to focus more on teens, and then I realized all four of the things we're going to deal with today are true in every relationship with a child, no matter how old the kid is, not just teens. So if you're thinking, well, I, I don't have teens yet, you'll get plenty out of today. If you're thinking, oh, my kids are all grown up, but God, this doesn't apply to me, you still have a relationship with children. You'll have a relationship with grandchildren. You're an aunt, you're an uncle, you've got kids in your life at some level. So I want to encourage you to, to listen today, to take what you can home and put it into practicing your life. Uh, my wife and I had the privilege, and I say that without any tongue-in-cheek, absolutely seriously, we had the privilege of raising four kids. And uh, we at one time actually had four teenagers in our home at the same time. And it was awesome. Now, I know that some people, especially in our culture, there seems to be a little bit of an attitude. You know, people dread the teen years, and oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. And that's not the way I think it should be at all. Now, we were not the perfect parents. Our kids were definitely not the perfect kids. But I absolutely believe that the teen years in your home are not something to be dreaded or something to just be survived, but they, in fact, can be the, some, the most powerful and best years of your life. In fact, I'm going to be so bold to say that they can be some of the most enjoyable years that you'll have as, as a parent because you've raised these kids, you've loved them, and now you're beginning to deal with them at a different level and as adults and as pre-adults and, and learning to communicate and share life with them and do things that are absolutely uh, fun and ex experience a measure of life with them that you didn't get to experience when they were one or two or five or ten. So what I want to talk about today, the, we're going to focus on mistakes that parents make sometimes. People say, well, it's kind of negative. Why don't we talk about things we should do? Well, the truth is, in life, when we take a look, an honest look at the mistakes we make, we can learn from them. And I think sometimes uh, we avoid looking at the negative because we don't want to be negative. Well, that's okay. But I, I honestly believe that we can look at some of the mistakes that have been made, that we've made, or that others have made, and that we can actually grow and learn through them. 
Uh, that being said, let me quickly insert this as well, that if you're in the midst of raising a teenager and you've, uh, you think, man, I've, I've, uh, things aren't going so well, I'm not even sure I like that kid, let alone love him. Uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to, to listen and to not listen to me. Don't look back. You can make a choice. You know, there's nothing you can do to change the past. Don't look at the past today. I want you to look at the present and the future. And, and start working today on being a better parent now. It's never too late. You think, well, my kids are all grown up. They're all gone. It's too late for me. No, it's never too late for you to be a good parent and to grow in these things. And again, there's no such thing as a perfect parent. We all make mistakes along the way. You can't change the past. But there are some things that you can learn from mistakes that you've made or others have made, and you can become a better parent. So four mistakes parents make with kids and how to avoid them. Here's the first one. Number one, mistake number one, failure to be a consistent role model. Failure to be a consistent role model. I want to suggest that there's nothing more frustrating to you as an individual than when somebody says something to you and then they do something completely the opposite, when they say one thing and do another. When your boss comes to you and says, I need you to work hard, work harder, and yet he's the epitome of laziness, that's pretty frustrating. When your friend says to you, oh, you can trust me, I won't tell a soul, I'll keep this just between you and me, and then you find out that they told everybody. They said one thing and did another. That can be pretty frustrating. We can be pretty disappointed in a politician or a preacher when they uh, preach family values and then we find out that they were unfaithful or that they said one thing and did completely the opposite. We get that. As an individual, you know how difficult it is to deal with somebody who says one thing and does another. Well, that's true with your kids as well. Do as I say and not as I do. Uh, it, it, you know, it, doesn't appeal to you, and it doesn't work for you. And guess what? It doesn't work for your kids either. I had a mom and a dad drag their daughter in to see me years ago when I was in staff at Life Center. And they were very um, frustrated with their teenage daughter. She was, I think, 16, 17 years old. And uh, they literally dragged her in. She did not want to come. And they sat down in my office, and they spent the first 10, 15 minutes just exploding. I mean, nonstop telling me everything that was wrong with their daughter, how she was out of control. It was like tag team. He started, and then she'd go. And then he, they, it's like I couldn't even get a breath in there. It's like they was back and forth about all the things wrong with their daughter. And she sat there with her arms crossed with this defiant look on her face. And, and finally, I just I, I heard plenty, of, like seriously, 10 or 15 minutes nonstop, all the things wrong with the kid. And I said, wait a minute, time out. And I looked at the girl, and I said, let me ask you, how do you feel about all of this? What's going on in your head right now? She was a little surprised, shocked, because she could say that, tell that I genuinely wanted to know. And she said, well, truth is, my dad yells at me about getting drunk and going out with my friends and partying, and he does it all the time. Well, you got very, very tense at that moment. <laughs> and the dad got defensive and, you know, defending his right to drink as an adult and blah, 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 blah. And, and, uh, and, I, and I, I told them what I'm telling you. I, I looked at him and I said, listen. I said, it's not okay to tell your daughter one thing and to do another. I said, that is the, that is the recipe for disaster, for frustration, for anger, for, for all sorts of problems. When you say, don't do this, don't do that, but you, in fact, do the very same thing. Do as I say and not as I do is a recipe for disaster in any home. It just doesn't work. And again, you're not going to be the perfect parent. By the way, your kids have already figured that out. And your kids won't be perfect either. But one of the most important things that we must do is live a consistent life 
of godliness before them because otherwise we send mixed signals. Now, a consistent life of godliness, what does that mean? Some of you think, oh boy, I'm in trouble. It just means that you're doing your best to follow Jesus and walk with him, and, but, and you're not pretending to be perfect. You're not pretending to have it all together, but you're doing your best to really live the life that God wants you to live. Let me give you a few examples. One thing to be consistent, and consistent in your commitment to love God. I think if you, in fact, I'll put it this way. The most important thing in our home, and I, hands down, without hesitation, I'll tell you, the most important thing with my wife and I raising our kids is we wanted them to know that we love Jesus with all our heart. Lots of other things that were important, lots of other things we wanted them to grow up understanding, but we wanted them more than anything, first and foremost, above all, we wanted them to, to, to love God and to see the love of God in, in, in where their mom and dad lived. Now, again, we weren't perfect, but we wanted them to know that we were committed to, to, to love the Father, to love Jesus with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so it's good when your kids see that. It's good when they catch you, and I use that, that word intentionally, when they catch you in the Word, when they catch you praying, when they catch you worshiping God. You know, I hope that you read the Bible on a fairly regular basis, at least a little bit every day. And rather than do it you know, in your office or in your work, in your car or in your bedroom or someplace away from kids, here's an idea. Get down in the living room every morning, open the Bible, and for five, ten minutes, Open the word. And as they're getting ready and coming down from you getting ready for school and coming getting to breakfast, let them catch you. Let them see you reading the word. Let them see you taking time to pray. Let them see you invest in your relationship with God. Let them catch you falling in love with Jesus. Let them in this place, in, in, in this place of worship, see you worship God and love him. And again, I know there's days you come in and you don't even feel like being here, let alone worshiping. But those are the times when you choose to say, you know, I'm here and I'm going to love God. I'm going I'm to demonstrate my love to him with my worship today. Let them see that. Be consistent role model to them of loving God. Here's another way you can be a model to them. Be faithful in your service to others. Let them see that you put the needs of others before your own. That you find ways to, to, to sacrificially give your time, energy, and money to bless and to help other people. And engage them in that. Involve them in that. Look for ways to say, hey, let's go do this together. Let's go help this person out together. Be solid. Here's another one. It's very important. Man, I, I, I see this, this, this failure all the time. Let them be, see that you, are, that you are respectful of authority. I can't tell you how many times, hundreds of times, I've had parents. When I was a youth pastor and as a pastor, I had parents come, my kids don't respect me. They don't respect authority. They're completely out of control. They don't... They don't honor me, and they go on and on and on about all the disrespect they get out from their kid. Now, let me just say something real quick here, and boy, I, I, I want to make sure you hear this. One of the things that I'm convinced of is that more often than not, the first problem is not the kid. The first problem is the parent. We need to work on our stuff, and as we get our stuff together, as we get our act together, then it tends to, it's the trickle down. It, again, this role model effect really does make a difference in the lives of our children. And when I hear that from a parent, I will almost always find a way to bring the conversation back around to them and say, let me ask you a question. How do you demonstrate respect for those in authority in your life? And I usually get this blank stare from the parent. What are you talking about? Well, how do you talk about your boss? Well, he's a jerk. Well, maybe he is, but do you show respect in your conversation and the way you speak about him? How about... And the way you deal with people in political, and the president. 
I don't, this is not a political statement. I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, like Obama or not. But how do you speak about him? They say, well, I don't like his policies. I disagree with the way. That's fine. You don't have to like the man or like his policies. But the Bible's clear. We honor the position. We respect those in authority. In fact, the Bible says to pray for them and to respect them, to honor them. And it's pretty inconsistent when you tell your kid, you need to respect me. I'm your father. And Obama, he's just a jerk. I hate that guy. I wish they didn't. But... And it's these mixed signals. You can't say respect those in authority, respect me, and then not do it. Here's another one. I'll really meddle with your head now. What about the pastor? What do you say about me on the way home from church? <laughs> Consistent, godly role model. The power of being a role model is incredible. It's, it's, it's powerful. It, you know, many of us, including me, grew up saying, I will never be like my dad. I will never do what he did. But do you know how many times I've said something or done something, and immediately I go, oh, my goodness, that was just like my dad. How many of you have done something as a dad? Just like your dad, your mom. Where did that come from? The power of a role model. And we need to understand that we as parents have this incredible opportunity. It is an incredible opportunity to be a role model. You will not be perfect. You will not always do it right. But here's a little phrase I want to give you. In fact, I'll repeat it twice because some of you want to write this down. Be the man or woman you hope and pray your kids will be so that when they are, ready, like you, you will like what they are becoming. Be the man or woman that you hope and pray your kids will be. Be that person so that when they are like you, that you will like what they are becoming. Paul the apostle wrote in 1 Corinthians, he said, I urge you to imitate me. He got this. He, Paul knew he wasn't perfect. But he said, I urge you, imitate me. In fact, he said in chapter 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Can you say that to your kids? Even saying, I'm going to make mistakes along the way, and when you see me make a mistake, I'm going to repent. I want to be good at that too. But follow me as I follow Christ. Be a good role model to your children. Mistake number two, not admitting when you are wrong. Not admitting when you are wrong. A book by Jay Kessler, written many years ago, which has been in some part an inspiration for my talk today, uh, said this. He wrote this. I love this. Too many parents are like concrete, all mixed up and permanently set. And he's right. We've got some things that aren't quite straight. We're a little mixed up. And then we get set in our ways. And we will not admit we're wrong. For some crazy reason, we get in our heads that if our kids see our mistakes, that they'll lose respect for us. And just the opposite is true. Yes, like I said, we need to be a consistent role model for our kids. But that includes, that includes being humble and admitting when we fail. That includes showing them what to do when you blow it, when you make a mistake. Most of you know I've shared before, my daddy was a preacher most of the years I was growing up at home. And my dad, tragically, uh, often said one thing and did another. I'd hear him stand on the pulpit and preach about, you know, being one way, and, and at home he was completely the opposite. And it was, it, was, it was really tragic. In fact, one of the things that was ten times worse than that for me is not only did I know that to be true, but my dad never, until he was in his late 50s, never did I ever hear my dad admit that he was wrong. Never. What I saw was stubborn pride and foolish, you know, uh, denial. He always blamed everybody else. I never, growing up, ever heard my dad say, I was wrong. I blew it. I made a mistake. Please forgive me. Never heard that. Not until he was in his 50s. And the last time my dad beat me with a belt, and I am not kidding, he beat me with a belt. I was 14 years old. 
By the way, way too old for corporal punishment, whether you believe in it or not. Way too old. And he accused me of doing something I didn't do and told me to lean over, bend over the bed, took his belt off, and whooped me good. And then my mom came home and said, George, he didn't do that. And you know what? My dad never did ask me to forgive him. He never did say, son, I'm sorry. The physical wound was painful enough, but was the emotional wound of watching my dad not admit that he made a mistake was far more emotionally wounding to me. Decades later, I mean a long time later, when my dad finally was broken of his stubborn pride by a series of tragic events in his life, he finally came to me and said, son, I need to ask you to forgive me because I wasn't the father I needed to be. And I'm telling you, I will never forget that day because it was one of the most powerful experiences, powerful encounters I'd ever had with him. He genuinely, with sorrow, with repentance, with humility, looked me in the eye and said, son, I failed. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And I was in my 30s and he was in his 50s. And we wept and blubbered all over each other for a long time. I cannot begin to describe to you the power of the, and the healing of that experience for me in our relationship. And I want to encourage you, never underestimate the power of these nine words. I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. Some of you, you think, well, my kids are grown up, they're gone, and I made a lot of mistakes, and it's too late. Nope, never too late. I was in my 30s, full-grown male with four kids of my own, when my dad pulled me aside. And we had that conversation. And the healing and the wholeness that came out of that was incredible. You know, one of the things that I love about the gospel is that the way of the cross is a way of confession. I mean, stop and think about it. We begin our relationship with God by confessing that we have failed, that we've sinned, that we've blown it, that we need a Savior. I mean, if you don't go there, then you don't go into relationship with God. It starts with, God, I have sinned, I have failed, I need you. It's the beginning. It is the initiation of our relationship with God starts right there. And the Bible tells us that it continues there. That as we continue to fail, we confess our sins. In fact, we do so to one, to one another. James 5, 16, I love this verse. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. James says, confess your sins, your failures, your stupidity to each other. And then pray for each other so that you can experience wholeness and healing in your relationship. The way of the cross, the way of confession. That's the way, how we start a relationship with God. The way of relationships, healthy relationships that, that stay healthy is that we learn to confess our failures and our mistakes with each other. Why do we hide? Why do we pretend like we've got it all together? Why, do we, why are we so afraid to admit that we blew it when we, when we fail? And especially with our kids. I want to tell you, it's powerful to say to your son, to your daughter, sweetheart, daddy got mad. I said some things I shouldn't have said. I treated your mommy in a really bad way. I treated you in a way that's not like Jesus would. Please forgive me. Man, we've done that with our kids before they could barely even talk. I can tell you a hundred times I've confessed to my children, I was wrong, honey. I, I blew it. Will you forgive me? And there's health and there's life and that kind of relationship. Own your humanness and your mistakes is powerful. Mistake number three, majoring on the minors, majoring on the minors. Now, here's the first thing I need to say to clarify. I know that your majors may not be my majors, and that your minors may not be my minors. I know we've got 
different values and we grew up in different homes and we have different perspectives and different experiences and there are things that are really important to you that may not be that big a deal to me and vice versa. I understand that. One of the things you better have is a pretty clear understanding of what's a major though versus a minor because here's, here's a little secret. Ready? Not everything's a major. Are you listening? Some of you are like drama kings and queens and everything's a major. And you just go overboard and overreact to everything. You know, one of the most important things you can learn as a parent is underreact. Seriously. Because we overreact by nature anyhow. So, but, but because sometimes we just, we make these huge, big mountains out of nothing. Because we're majoring on minors. Now, again, if you've got values, I hope you do. And you've got majors, I hope you do. I get that. But understanding what those are and what those aren't is really important as well. Maybe in your home, it's a major that you share one meal together. In our home, that was one of the things we really tried to do. Even when the kids were teenagers and busy and going 19 different directions, we tried every day to share at least one meal together. It was important to us. Maybe that's a big deal. Maybe it's not. Maybe in your home, uh, you limit the amount of video games your children watch because you don't want them to go brain dead by 15. You know, and, and maybe that's a big deal. Maybe they go, I don't care. You know, they'll have really good and high coordination. I don't know. But whatever it is, understand what's a major and what's a minor. But whatever the big deal is, be clear about what it is in your thinking and in theirs. And if you're married, have, be on the same page with your spouse. But here's the thing I want you to hear. Pick your battles. Not every hill is the hill to die on, guys. And you don't want to win the battle but lose the war. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've talked to parents and, and they're, they're losing their kid over something that really just isn't that big a deal. Part of it is we have to discern what's cultural and what's generational versus what's biblical. Now, I'm not going to take too much time on this. I took too much time in the first service. But let me just underline what I mean by that. There are things that are cultural, generational, and biblical. And biblical things are important. For instance, in our home, big deal. I mean, you ask my kids, anyone, what was, what was the thing you got disciplined the, the firmest for every time it happened? Lying. Truth was a very big deal in our home. Number one was, tell me the truth. You, you might fail, you, you make mistakes, but man, don't lie. Don't compound it by telling me lies. Be honest with me. And so saying the truth was, a, was a very important. And that's a biblical issue. The Bible says that, that Satan is the father of lies. And truth is, is what sets us free. I mean, the truth is taught a lot. It's important in the, in the Bible. It's a biblical issue. But in the home I grew up in, here's an issue that was a major for my dad, and it never should have been, in my humble opinion. Hair. Now, I, I, I grew up in the 60s and, and the early 70s. And some of you remember those days. Some of you think, boy, he's really old. And yes, I know I'm older than you are, Jeremy. I get that. But he always points it out. But here's the thing. The, the, uh, that era was an era where everybody was growing their hair long. It was pretty common to have long hair. My dad was terrified that I was going to become some hippie, dope-smoking freak. And so everybody around me has hair, and I've got a crew cut. And then he finally let me grow out a little ridge just in the front, because I have a couple of colics there, and so I could have a ridge of hair. But I had to grease that back. And then it'd get a little longer, and I always had to have my hair combed back. I mean, the, this thing, you know, with, with Grecian formula, whatever. And, and it was a big deal. And I hated 
the way my hair was. In fact, I got to the point where on my way to school every day, I would carry with me a rag and I would wipe my hair clean and get it done the way I wanted it done before I go to school because I was embarrassed and felt so out of place. And it was this huge issue. I mean, this monster issue in our home. And, and it, again, my think, well, hair's a big deal. Okay, if it is for you, that's fine. But it really isn't that big a deal. It's a generational thing. It's a cultural thing. Well, it just surprises the heck out of me now. I mean, it, it, crew cut, dreadlocks, it's all in style right now. It doesn't really matter. But that was not true in the 60s and the early 70s. And it was a battle between my dad and I that really drove a wedge between us in our relationship. And he made it a major when it really isn't, it wasn't a biblical issue. It was a generational, a cultural issue. We need to be careful. We need to pick our battles and, and be wise. And remember that not everything is, is uh, something to, to, uh, to die over. Too often we major on the minors and damage our relationships. I like what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 12, 18. He said, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as, as you can control and deal with the situation, Live at peace with everyone. I think this verse applies in our families and with our kids as well. Don't major in the minors. Here's one more. Number four. Mistake number four, refusing to let them fail or to offer grace when they do. Refusing to let them fail or offering grace when they do. I know parents, uh, most of us, all of us probably, Hope and pray that our kids won't make the same stupid mistakes we make. How many of you pray, oh God, oh God, please help my kids be smarter than I was. I mean, I, I pray that all the time. God, I pray, that please don't let them do the stupid things I did. But some lessons, um, truthfully, are only learned the hard way. Some things are learned through experience. And you can tell and talk and tell and talk, but then when they do it, and there's a consequence, sometimes a natural consequence, by the way, natural consequences are a great, great lesson, a teaching lesson. You know, you tell your kid, I don't you climb in on that wall because it's too high and you're not good enough, your balance is, don't go there yet. And they go and do it anyhow, and they fall off and get all scraped up and bruised. There's a natural, they fell, they hurt themselves. You know, so you're stupid, I can't believe you did that. No, you say, honey, that's why I didn't want you to walk on that wall because you're not able to do that yet, and you're, that's why you're, you've got an owie. Natural consequences, one way that our kids learn and they grow. When my youngest daughter, and I have her permission to tell the story, by the way, Michelle was in high school. She had her own car the last couple of years, and I told her on many occasions, um, you know, be a good driver, watch the speed limit. By the way, if you're going to tell your kid, watch the speed limit. Good idea for you to watch the speed limit. And uh, I said, you know, because here's the thing, sweetheart, you get a ticket. You're not only going to pay for the ticket, but if my insurance goes up, you're paying for the difference. You're going to pay that monthly increase as well. And so I just said, you know, you, your responsibility of driving a car is to drive it responsibly and to obey the law. And if you get busted, you're going to be paying for it. Well, sure enough, one day she came home and she was sobbing. I mean, just, I thought she'd hit somebody or, you know, it was, she was just out of control, emotional, and sobbing, and cries, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's going on, tell me what's going on, I got a ticket, I almost started laughing at that point, it's like, oh, <laughs> and, and she said, and it was, I didn't know, and so I said, sweetheart, um, you're going to pay that, I know, and then once my insurance goes up, I'll let you know what you owe me every month, okay, 
And I didn't need to ground her. I didn't need to take her keys away. The natural consequence of that experience was enough to teach her. But here's the thing that I really want you to understand about that. It was an incredible opportunity. It was an awesome opportunity for Laura, for her mom and I, to show our daughter grace and mercy, to show her that we love her and affirm her even when she makes mistakes. When a kid grows up in a home with conditional love, uh, with love based on a performance, it's really uh, an unhealthy and unholy environment. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Don't provoke your kids to wrath. There's a lot of ways we can provoke our kids to wrath, but no, no way faster to do it than when we show them conditional love. When we love them when they do it right and they get good grades and they're doing all, all the things they're supposed to do, but when they fail, they don't get the affirmation of the love that they need from us. See, here's again the truth. Just like you, hello, just like you, your kids are going to make mistakes. And when they do, there may be discipline necessary, more than just the natural consequence. Maybe they get grounded. Maybe they lose a privilege. Sure, that could happen. But it's a huge mistake to communicate to our kids, either through our words or through our actions, that failure is fatal. Huge mistake. Or that your love is conditional. Because you and I are never going to reach a perfect standard, not in these earth suits on this planet, not now. And neither will your kids. Now, that does not excuse misbehavior. It doesn't mean we ignore you know, their, their, their issues or that we ignore the things they're doing. But love, grace, forgiveness must be the center of all our relationships and absolutely at the center of the relationship you have with your children, including your teens. They got to know that no matter what, you love them. They come home and they said, Mom, I'm pregnant. Your heart's broken. You ache. You prayed to God that they would be smarter and wiser and not, not go there. But it's one of those times where you have the, the, the opportunity to say, I love you. And we're going to work through this together. And we're going to stand with you. We're brokenhearted. We ache for you. We know there's going to be some consequences. There's things that are, your life's never going to be the same again, sweetie. But we're with you every step along the way. They come home and say, Dad, I got an F in algebra. I've <laughs> been there, done that. <laughs> and they say, well, what can we do to help you get better? What can we do to support you? What can we do? Do you need tutoring? Do you need some special help? Is there something we can do to, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm disappointed. I, I think, you know, if you just, in fact, frankly, and this is so true, really is true, you just show up in class, basically, it's hard to get an F. But, you know, anyhow, that's another story. But what can we do? We want, to, we want to work with you. We want to be there to support you and to help you get better at this. One of my favorite verses is found in Ephesians 1.7. And it's not one that a lot of people are very familiar with, but let me read it to you. It says, God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. I like sometimes to read the scriptures and I insert my name where the word our is. Let me read it to you that way. God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased Kurt's freedom. Put your name in there. That he purchased your freedom with the blood of his son and forgave Kurt's sins. And what I love about this verse, what just blows me away, is it says God is rich. God is rich in kindness and mercy and grace towards us. He's not begrudging it. He's not like, man, you ticked me off. I can't believe how many times you keep doing it. You're so stupid. What are you going to learn? You got one more chance, Buddha, and then you're... 
God's never that way with us. Never. He is rich. He's abundant. He's overflowing. He is filthy rich. Not, not a good word. He is he's amazingly rich in his, his goodness and his kindness and his grace towards you and me. It's not just a little bit, guys. It's a lot. It's not just once in a while. It's all the time. It's not just when he's having a good day and feels like it. It's every moment of every moment, every breath of your life. God's there. He's rich in his goodness and his kindness towards you. And the way that he is towards you is the way he wants you to be towards your kids. Are you listening? It's not excusing bad behavior. It's not turning a blind eye. It's not saying, well, you know what? Grace isn't saying, well, I guess that's no big deal. <laughs> Have fun. You know, that's not the point either. God disciplines those whom he loves. It says that in Hebrews as well. There is discipline. There's correction. There's molding and shaping and carving. But it's always, it's always bathed and surrounded and covered and smothered with this grace and this love and this goodness from God. God says, I am so sorry. Oh, I wish you wouldn't have done that. Oh, that just, I, I died for that. But I love you. And I'm never going to turn my back on you. And I'm never going to turn away from you. And I'm never going to give up on you. I am never going to give up on you. That's the love God has for you and me. And that's the love he wants us to have for our kids. They will fail. And when they do, how you treat them, how you accept them, will make a major impact and the health and the ongoing health of your relationship with them. Because see, here's the deal. Teenagers raised in a world, children raised in a world of conditional love and acceptance, a world based on their performance. Here's what typically happens. And, and, and it, these are generally extremes, but they typically are the result of a child raised in that kind of home. On the one hand, they're gonna, they may withdraw. There may be insecurity. They just can't live up to it. They just can't get there. They just, they're tired of being a failure and failing you, and so they're going to distance themselves from you. So on the one hand, if they brought, were brought up in that world of conditional love and performance-based love, and they can't do it, they're just going to quit. They're just going to bail. They're going to give up. They're going to withdraw. On the other hand, what you may see in the other extreme is you're going to see rebellion. Some kids are pretty bold and pretty strong-willed, and I had one of those. She's in the booth back there. And, and uh, if, when, they, when they get upset, when they get mad, when they feel it's conditional, they basically just go, screw you and everybody else, and they're rebellious, and, and it comes out in vile and mean and ugly ways. And so they may withdraw, they may become very insecure, they may become very rebellious. If they live in a world where they feel like anything less than perfection is unacceptable, and where it's conditional. One last story, and I'm done. I had uh, a thousand years ago, when I was a youth pastor, had a mom come to me, and I knew her very well, and I knew her son very well, and he was a junior in high school. And she said, my son is always lies. He's a chronic liar. He, if I asked him what color the sky is and it's blue, he'd say black. Just, he's just a liar. Lies about everything. Lies all the time. And she was really upset about it. She said, I don't know what to do with him. Now, again, I knew her very well, and I knew her son very well. And he's actually a pretty good kid, but he did lie a lot. And I had one of those moments with her that was really just a God moment. And, and it was something where, just prophetically, I knew the Lord was speaking through me. And I said to her, I said, let me ask you. I said, do you think perhaps it's because you've raised the bar so high and your love for him is conditional that he fears rejection, he fears disclosing failure 
And so he deceives, deceives you. He, he hides his sin rather than owns it because he's afraid, because he doesn't feel love. Well, it was hard for her to hear, but it was exactly what she needed to hear because that's exactly the nature of the relationship she had with her son. You see, here's the thing. When your kids really know, whether they're five or 15, when they really know that you love them no matter what, here's an amazing thing that will happen, and I promise you it will happen. They'll come to you and confess their sins before they even get caught. They will. It's cool. They'll, they'll come to you and they'll say, Dad, i got to tell you something. I did this the other day. And, and they'll, they'll, they'll do it because they want to walk in the light. Because they want to walk in that kind of relationship with you. Because they know, they get that there's healing and wholeness and confession. But when they feel it's conditional and based on performance, they'll hide in the dark. They will run from you rather than run to you. Some lessons we learn by failing forward. But in that, when they do, the way they're going to learn and grow through that rather than just go through it is when they experience grace and mercy from you, from you, mom and dad. And by the way, let me insert this and I'm going to pray and we're done. Maybe you're a kid here, a teenager, or you're sitting here thinking, well, my mom and dad don't do this very well. Everything you talked about, they've made all those mistakes. Here's my encouragement to you. Give them grace as well. Love them the way Jesus loves them. It goes both ways. Love them just the way God wants you to because that's, that's, the, that's the nature of what he wants in all of your relationships. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your word that challenges us to be like you. But I thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit that empowers us to live it, to become like you. Father, I pray that if there's anybody sitting here right now or watching online that feels guilt or shame, that you would not let them leave with that burden. Lord, we've all made mistakes. We've all failed. And I pray, Lord, that in this moment they would feel and know the grace of God, that you are rich in grace toward them. And that it's never too late for us to repent, to change, to cry out to you for help. It's never too late for you, Lord. It's never too late for us in you. And so, God, I pray that you would encourage us today and that you would empower us today by your Spirit. And that we would not look back, Lord. We can't change what was, but that we would look to our present and our future and cry out to you for help and for, for uh, your help to become the moms and dads that you want us to be so that we can see our kids become the men and women that, that you have destined them to become. And so we cry out to you, Lord. We ask you for your help. Help us be like you, Daddy God. I'm going to ask you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet begun your life as a Christ follower. And I, I said earlier that our relationship with God begins with confession. We confess that we need God. We confess that we've sinned. We confess that we've failed, that we need a Savior. And I said that, and you thought, you know, I've never done that. And you're right, I, I need that. And, and you realize right now, there's, just, there's this light that's gone on in your soul, and you get it. Man, I, I, I need God. I need a Savior. And you're ready to confess your need. I'm going to pray this very simple prayer. And the words are important, but what's more important is that in your heart, your mind, that these words represent what you want, what you decide what you're choosing to do right now. And if you want to become a Christ follower and begin your life as a Christian today, just make this prayer yours. Father, I confess I failed. I confess that I've sinned. I confess that I need a Savior. I need you. I've tried life my way and it hasn't gone so good. And now, Lord, I want to come to you. And I will surrender my past, my present, my future. I want to give it all to you. And I right here, right now, I choose you, thank you for choosing me. 
I give my life to you. Thank you for giving your life for me. I surrender my all to you, and I accept, Lord, your free gift of grace and mercy and salvation right now, right here. Now, that's you just in your own way. Say, yep, God, that's me. That's what I want. That's what I need. And that instant you do, the moment you do, the Bible says you begin. It's a journey that will take you through the rest of your life and into eternity. But it's the beginning of a walk as a Christ follower, as a disciple of Jesus, as you say yes to him. Lord, for those making that decision right now, show them what it means and what you're going to do through them and in them. And what you're doing right now is they have confessed they need a Savior. Pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. We're going to finish our service with a song of worship, a song that declares again that we need him and we love him, but we're going to give. And I, we give in this part of our service as an act of worship as well. It's not because we have to. It's an act of worship, an act of love that we give to the Father. So give as we worship, and I'll come back and wrap it up. I love the truth of that song, God's love never fails, never will fail you. And the way he calls us to live in our relationships with each other, with our kids, that our love will never fail them. Now it will. We as humans do fail one another. And that's when we have that great opportunity to experience mercy and grace and own it to say, would you forgive me? I failed. But I'm so glad that God's love never does. I want to encourage you, if you need prayer, the prayer team will be down front. There's communable sides of the room today. Uh, if you begin your life as a Christ follower, tell somebody. You'll make their day. Come tell me. And we got a packet on the tables to the right as you walk out. This is for new Christians. It's got a Bible and some material to get you started in your walk with Jesus. Pick one of those up. I would encourage you as well, stop by the table right back in the back there and get tickets for this Thursday night. Come on back to the concert this Thursday. It's going to be awesome. My prayer for you, my blessing to you, is go live in the kindness and the goodness and the grace of God this week. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Thanks.